Today is Sunday, September 27th, 2020. As some of you may know, uh, at dusk this evening and until the stars come out tomorrow night, the Day of Atonement of the Jewish calendar commences. See, this day is arguably the most sacred and highest of the celebrations in the biblical Jewish calendar. This is the Day of Atonement, the cleansing of sins, and that's the indirect focus. In Leviticus 16, you could read all about it, that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies on this holy day. Somebody say, that's a lot of holiness. That's a lot of holiness. So you could see the laying on the hands for the Azazel. See, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is a day of fasting, prayer, and being freed from the afflictions of your soul. Mm. So as anyone would normally do in prepping for a day of fasting, today is going to be a day of feasting on the Word of God. We are hungry for the things of God. We are hungry to be fed from His Word. We're hungry to be following His presence. And we are hungry to be walking in the favor as His sons. Today, we have a word from the heavens for you guys. I'm talking about one that is pertinent. It is on point for everyone in this room. And we're going to edify ourselves in God's Word and particularly with today's title sermon, our sermon title, Favorite Food. Say favorite food. Favorite food. Well, let's turn to John chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 34 to begin our message. Say food whenever you're there. There we go. John four thirty-four. My food said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, here is a very familiar scripture. We love this one. We have built upon it. And in it, Jesus is laying down an incredible interpretive key for us to understand. It's simple. It's pushed and straightforward. The food that he's talking about is not really food. It is the concept of us doing God's will and finishing His work. So our food is to do His will and to finish that work. Like food, it is the substance and the sustenance of heaven that nourishes our walk. It gives us everything we need to accomplish it. It's the fuel for my spirit, my soul, and my body. And it is exactly the pattern that we see in Jesus that we're going to replicate. It's almost like, Pastor, I'm given a large plate of barbecue ribs. Sauce on the side, because I can't have that. And the Father is telling me, do your work and finish exactly what I put before you. What we're putting before you is a plate full of Holy Ghost tenacity that is going to do the will of the Father and finish everything that He's given us. This leads us to our first and clear point, that this food of doing the will of the Father and finishing it are action-filled steps of obedience. Somebody say that with us. Say action-filled steps. Action-filled steps. Of obedience. Of obedience. See, we're not just asking you to have more action in your life. We want you to have action-filled steps. You heard a word from Judah this morning that said that we should be exhausting ourselves at doing what God has told us to do. Action-filled steps of obedience is what we're after this morning. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2 and see one of the places where this began. Genesis 2.15. Come on, somebody say action when you get there. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, it says this. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it. Somebody say, work it. Work it. That is the purpose of man in the garden and to take care of it, to guard it. See, doing God's will and finishing his work was the intent from the very, very beginning. Here in the garden, even before Adam has Eve, even before sin has entered into the garden, that working it was a part of what God intended for mankind to engage in, for him to begin with. Adam was to work the garden. He was to take care of it and guard it. He was finishing. His, God, his job was to finish God's will. See, there were many, and these were his action-filled steps of obedience, even in this sinless state. I want you to grab hold of that for a second. Before there was sin in the world, there was work in the world. 
before sin came and fell, that God had a plan for us to work, to exhaust ourselves with steps of obedience, action-filled steps of obedience that would cause something to happen. What did it cause in Adam to happen here? A few verses later, he understands his need for an easer. Even in this perfected state, he had a need. He understood and began to understand the principle of being dependent, dependent upon the Lord, dependent on those that God would add to his life. If that's Adam in a perfected state, how much more do we need to understand this concept today? A lot more. Let's look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man and said, you are free to eat. From any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam's purpose, working, caring for the garden, was immediately combined with the need for him to understand the right kind of food choices for him to make. (laughs) That this was to be his sustenance, like Jesus said in John 4, but we're seeing it all the way in Genesis chapter 2. Church, make no mistake about it. Your food has always been and will always be to do the will of God and to complete it. Amen. That is what you are being fed on. I know that you sit down for a meal together. I know that there's fellowship. But I'm telling you, according to the word, the thing that is designed to sustain you is doing the will of the Lord and completing it. Not just starting it, but finishing it here. Action-filled steps of obedience are designed to help show you to redirect your dependency so that it's on God's word as you complete his will. Somebody say as. As. See, sometimes we don't understand what God's will is. We don't understand our need for something because we have not yet given everything and filled our steps with action, filled our steps with obedience. See, this is what helps us to understand. Yes, Lord, I want to be more dependent upon you. The way that you become more dependent is you exhaust yourself doing what he told you to do. That moves from concepts of saying, Lord, I want to be dependent all the while while we're staying completely dependent upon our own strength, upon our own self. But as we're obedient, see, we get to understand something different. We were designed by God to be solely dependent upon Him. Not eating from any other source. Not a tree of your own knowledge of good and evil. Not any other source because that only produces death. But eating from the obedience that God gives us. When He tells us what to do, we immediately begin to engage. And that is what sustains us. The Bible says you're free to eat. You're free to eat of His will. You are free to do exactly what He's telling you to do. And that is what is going to carry us forward. Oh, church, I hear in that we are free to eat of doing the will of the Father and finishing it. It is there before us and we have to go after it. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And we'll start in verse 9. Say there whenever you're there. there. And you, my son Solomon... Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the Oh man, Solomon was charged with a great task to lead the nation of Israel and build a temple as a sanctuary. His ability to perform these action-filled steps of obedience would be founded on his sole dependency on God. With wholehearted devotion and a willing mind that looked to God's word for direction and wisdom at all times, not just one singular time. But in every moment, in every day, depending on God to give him direction and wisdom of how to carry this out. The concluding remarks in this passage are to be strong and do the work. Seeing this a bit further, it is God speaking to him and is God speaking to us. Hold fast to what I have given you and do the action-filled steps of obedience that I've shown you. God's put in your hand exactly every tool that he has required you to have. It is now your job to take that tool and to use it until everything that God has told you to do is complete and it is finished. 
It's hard not to think when you're hearing what Pastor Matt is saying about another project, building project in the book of Haggai. Let's turn to the book of Haggai chapter 2. Come on, I know y'all are all reading that this morning. Book of Haggai chapter 2. See, what we're talking about today is exhausting yourself being obedient to the Lord. Yes. To have your food be doing the will of the Lord and completing it. Look at Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4. It says this. Be, but now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the yeah. Lord, and work. Yeah. See, we sometimes cry out to the Lord for Him to give us strength. But the reason that He gives you strength, the reason that He's trying to give you the food that you need, is so you will be strong and go to work. Amen. Come on now. The end result is that you're working. Be strong and go complete what I've told you to do. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Come on now, this is a better passage than than you're catching on to right now. See, Adam was assigned. He was purposed. He was destined to work it, to work the garden that God put him in. Solomon, you see the same thing, that he was given the same encouragement when he was charged to be strong and do the work. He had the work of building God's temple on earth, finishing God's will here in this place. Here in this passage, you see that Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, and all of the people were empowered. Somebody say empowered. Empowered. God was empowering them to do the work that he gave them to do. The work of rebuilding the temple. But isn't that what you and I are really tasked with this morning? To build God's kingdom here on earth. He gives you strength. He gives you sustenance. He gives you the food of his presence so that you might be strong and do the work. Now, we're not building a physical structure, but we are bringing his kingdom here. See, they were given action-filled steps of obedience to complete the promise that God was with them. God gave them the promise and says, I am with you. Listen to how important that is. He's not saying only a promise of what will be. He's saying in the present tense, when you are working for me, when you're being strong and engaging and tiring yourself in what I have, I am with you. Boy, that's a better, that's a better thought than what you're given and you're responding today. He is with you when? When you're with Him. When yeah. you're doing the work, God is well, with say. you. That fear that we have has got to be cast down. If I really, really try, then maybe He won't be with me. That's not how the economy of the kingdom works. When you give yourself fully, He is guaranteeing it here, just like He spoke to Zerubbabel, just like He spoke to Joshua, the high priest, just like He spoke to the whole group of people. I am with you. Amen. This is what God promised. He covenanted it with His people when they came out of Egypt. And He says, don't be afraid. (laughs) So easy to say. So difficult for us to not actually give way to fear. If I really, really try, if I give 100% and I have nothing left, what if he doesn't come through? What if it just doesn't work out for me? These internal struggles are fear. But God is promising and saying, my spirit will remain among you. I am with you and my spirit remains with you. See, he who can shake the heavens and the earth will remain with you. That's the kind of heavenly food that we need to digest this morning. We need to get it down on the inside. I'm not asking you to understand it more. I'm asking you to be filled with it and strengthened by it so that you can complete the work of God. Amen. He's saying, I am with you. My spirit will remain with you. Do not be afraid. See, we have no place for fear if you're going to accomplish God's will. There is no room for fear. You can't be 90% 90% doing God's will and 10% fear. Well, that would be a pretty good person in the room. You'd be a boss if you're at 90-10. There is no room for fear when you are trying to accomplish God's will. This is the heavenly food we need. Somebody say heavenly food. Heavenly food. Oh, we have a good father. A good father who gives us the encouragement that he is with us, that we are to have no fear whatsoever. It is heavenly food. And it is comfort food. 
I mean, this satisfies my soul. It's like biscuits and gravy, mashed potatoes with a side of green beans and some banana pudding to follow after it. When God begins to speak to me, I am with you. Do not be afraid. You have everything you need to take action-filled steps of obedience. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. As we eat this heavenly food, we're going to pack on some pounds this morning. Some kavod and heavenly weight. Deuteronomy 8.1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember. Say remember, church. Remember. Remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, this passage begins with be careful to follow. Why would you have to say be careful to follow? Because there's a propensity to not follow. It's to raise the level of awareness and pay attention to the direction and the action filled steps of obedience that God has given you. Because he designed those to demonstrate your dependency on him. The very food of doing his will and completing it till the end. Then he continues with, remember how God led you. Well, I I can't help but think of Moses. How God led Moses from the backside of the desert into Egypt to go deliver his people. And in that process, there were ten plagues demonstrating God's power, superiority, judging the gods of Egypt and delivering his people. But this was um, uh, evidence of adversity. Everybody say adversity. Adversity. This continued as Israel was led into the desert. They were pursued by Pharaoh's army of adversity. Then they crossed the Red Sea. Moses sings his song, the horse and the rider. And then they have to continue on and be dependent on the next thing that God's going to give them and require of them. In this passage... Deuteronomy 8, it goes on to say, in your heart. I want to know what was in your heart. Obviously, we know that's not the muscle in the center of your chest that is the cardiovascular system hub by which you operate. We're talking about the core of your being, the depths of your soul, the very fiber that makes you up. I want to know everything about you, but really what is in the center of who you are. What have you been feeding on? That's what the Lord wants to know. Have you been feeding on a food other than doing the will of the Father and finishing it to the end? Are you achieving God's will through action-filled steps of obedience or by some other means of dependency on someone and something else? This is clear that our heart is our core and it is what God has designed to fill with His will and completing His will. Here's the clear part, that our action-filled steps of obedience will bring adversity. This is the guarantee that you have. As pastor is saying that, it, makes, it reminds me of some things before I got here. Anybody ever went to church before you got to LCM? Okay, I don't even count any of that as real. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. How was it that I was able, let me, let me put it in, in my place right now. Let me be transparent with you. How was it that I was able to be in the kingdom? To consider myself a Christian for as long as I was without any real adversity in my life. I'm not saying that there weren't difficult things that happened. But I'm saying I had really a low amount of real adversity. That comes from actually completing God's will. The answer has to be for me. That I wasn't walking in real action-filled steps of obedience. I was doing what I thought I should do. I was busying myself with my own food sources, my own desires, my own knowledge of good and evil. And that is why I could go for so long thinking that I was really happy with what was going on. But it's because I hadn't yet exhausted myself doing God's will. I hadn't yet actually come against adversity that's there. Lord, I'm doing your will and I'm facing opposition. What is this about? Lord, show me. I didn't have real dependency upon him. Because I thought I could do it myself. Come on. 
not the only one. I remember a simple revelation that actually came to me one time when I was coming here to preach. And I realized that week, I realized that I had so many things on my to-do list that I was feeding myself with that I needed no help from the Lord to accomplish. Of course you don't find real adversity in those. See, the predictable, verifiable, expected outcome of taking constant, daily, exhausting yourself to take action-filled steps of obedience will in fact bring about adversity in your life. When you are never relenting and going forward in the kingdom, there is adversity. Let's look, we're still, uh, you're still in Deuteronomy 8, let's look at verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Yeah. <laughs> He told Adam to work the garden so that he would realize that he had a dependency, that he had a need. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. Isn't that an interesting lesson to learn from bread that is falling from the heaven? Yeah. I am showing you that there is a natural kind of bread, but it's got to come from the heavens. It has to be daily. you got to go out and get it. It's there for you, but you've got to go and have obedient steps, steps that are filled with action so that you can take it. You can't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth Amen. of the Lord. How is it that we can say this? You're going to go to lunch this afternoon. You might even have dinner today. How is it that we can say what you're really living on is every word from yes. God? Do you know when that revelation really hits you? After you've exhausted yourself doing what he told you to do. It's true. Wow. I don't need anything else but you, Lord. I need more of you. I, I don't need that anything more. I need more of you, God. I want more of you. See, adversity is designed. It's a valuable commodity in the kingdom. Look at me, church. It is a valuable commodity in the kingdom. Adversity. It's a it precious is. substance. Yeah, it is. It was removing here in, in Deuteronomy. It was removing the blinders of people's own personal idolatrous pursuits. Man, I got to tell you that it's not been like when I got here and been trained here at this church. Man, when I understand my desperate need for him, I had the right words for a long time. I said the right things. I genuinely thought that I meant it. Except my life was void of proving it out in what I did. Man. The Bible talks about that a laborer's appetite works for him. That his hunger drives him on. What are you really hungry for? Are you hungry to, for the next time that you can pray through the tabernacle? I mean, you might have just left the tabernacle and been like, Can I do that again? Yes. That was so good. Can I, can I go back and pray? Lord, I, I'm praying. I'm meditating on you. Lord, I want to get close to you. What are you hungry for, church? Are you hungry to do His will? Because that kind of hunger is what's going to drive you on. It's going to push you forward. And what happens is you get a revelation when this takes place. They got a revelation that they weren't living on the bread that they were putting in their mouth. They were living on the words that were coming from God's mouth. That's what Amen. was filling them. Amen. That's exactly what Jesus said in John 4. That's exactly where we started off today. You're obeying every word of the Lord is what sustains you. Think about Psalm 119 in verse 67. You, you don't have to turn there. It says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. You see why affliction is such a good commodity in the kingdom? Before I had difficulties, I just kind of went on and did my own way. I strayed and went anywhere that I thought that I should go because I was the king of my own life. But when you're following and stepping forward in what God has, then you begin to actually understand adversity and it makes yes. you do something. It drives you back to a dependency upon the Lord. But now... Now, because of adversity, I'm making sure that I'm following your word. Yeah. If I'm going to have adversity, I want it be be to be because I'm doing righteous deeds for the king and not because I'm just walking in my own mess. Whew. God, do you hear it again, church? That friendship, that intimacy that God has got to direct your compass of compassion. I know that was another message, but I want to tell you that that friendship, 
That closeness is what he's trying to draw you to. And you don't understand your need for closeness until you've exhausted yourself and until you actually face the adversity that's in your life. Church, isn't it true that adversity drives us to dependency? It brings us to a place of drawing even closer to the Lord. It gives us the means by which we can make right discernments. It can allow our deep convictions to get even deeper and give us a firm footing knowing where God's kingdom resides and we're not going to be moved from it. It allows us to face that adversity with the right heart and the right attitude. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 6 and we're going to pick up in verse 2. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Nehemiah had taken action-filled steps of obedience, and now he was brought to adversity. He had these sniveling, little scheming schemers. What were they aiming at? They're aiming at to intimidate, distract, and derail the very food that God had given Nehemiah. The food that God had given Israel. But Nehemiah didn't even give them the time of day. What did he give them? The same answer every single time. This is exactly how we're to respond when our action-filled steps of obedience bring adversity. Hey, I am standing on the high ground of what God's word has already directed me to do. My food is to do the will of the Father and to finish it. I cannot stop. I won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. The presence of adversity is actually proving the authenticity of my action-filled steps of obedience. It is the very test to prove that what the Lord told me is real because it endures. It prevails. It overcomes. It wins. I know it will stand firm and prove true because I know what God has originally given me and no amount of adversity can divert me from what God has already told me to do. Isaiah 48.10 says this. I'll read it to you. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Oh, when we are standing in that midst of adversity because we have taken action-filled steps of obedience, it is God's name that will be glorified through that adversity. It is God's glory that he wants to preserve, and he will share his glory with none other. He is immovable, and therefore when I am in him, I am immovable. No amount of adversity will take away my strength to obey and fulfill what God has called me to do. I'm going to propel others into his presence and do so much more. In the end of my life, I know I will finish God's work, no matter what matter uh, state of adversity that there is. My call to you is that do not be surprised whenever you are doing exactly what God told you to do and that there is adversity. Don't give up. Stand firm on what God has already told you because his name is at stake. His glory is what he wants to be revealed through you and through that adversity. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 6. This concept that you are tested in the furnace of affliction. You're tested in these things. It's needed. It's necessary in you. It shows what your actual works have been about. It shows you where you must stand, both external and internal. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 9. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Do you realize that fear is working at you to try to keep you from completing the work that God has given you? That's fear's number one job. That's what it is here in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 9. And then it goes on to say, but I prayed, now strengthened my hands. See, the voice of the enemy that's trying to instill fear. 
that voice that's trying to instill fear in you. Sometimes I wish the adversity was only external. I wish it was only from those coming from the outside, trying to buffet us, trying to come against us. But the problem is, is that the adversity sometimes that rises up is the fear that's planted within us. You realize not every attack is designed to kill you externally, right? They're trying to press you, and then it creates a worry on the inside of you that nobody can see. You averted the car accident, but now you're thinking about things in a different way. You, the, the Lord came through and provided for you, but now you're thinking about things because of your own heart. This adversity, and it's showing you that you have a de- need for dependency on Him. See, this fear was trying to weaken their resolve. Yeah. Well, at least that's just in Nehemiah's day, right? No. Isn't Think about it in your own heart right now. Isn't that what fear does to you constantly? Isn't that what fear does to me constantly? It weakens your resolve. Yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to go forward. Yes, I want to hear the prophecy and exhaust myself doing His will. I want to wear myself out. But I'm not sure. But, but, but there's this fear on the inside of me. Yeah, your fears need to be absolutely damned in Jesus' name. Amen. That fear that no matter how hard I try, I'm just not going to be able to make it. I just can't live up to what you guys are doing. I'm just afraid that I can't. So I'll just be afraid and walk in that and never accomplish. Never do what God wants me to do. See, that's not what this house is about. That's not what this house is about. It's about understanding that the fear is trying to weaken your resolve. that that, That that part of the adversity is trying to wear you out where you won't accomplish what God has for you. Man, these people here in Nehemiah, these were men who were filled with the food of the heavens. They understood. They were strengthened like Solomon. They were strengthened like Zerubbabel. And they got after the work. They knew that the presence of adversity was proving the authenticity of their action-filled steps of obedience. They knew that the authenticity in the adversity was being proven out. But I prayed. God, that friendship and intimacy again. Whether it's Adam in the garden or us today. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need to get close to you again. Strengthen my hands, Lord. Fill me with the food from heaven to do your will that is from heaven, Lord. Fill us with that strength. Fill us with that food. See, church, this is the zeal. This is the spiritual fervor that causes you to be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in your prayers because you know you're going forward and the adversity is there, but you know that it's proving something inside of you and you want to complete the work and you will let nothing stop you. You see it as a proving ground, not something that will steal your resolve. It actually steals your resolve. It strengthens your resolve so that you can move forward and accomplish God's will in everything. Do you hear the call of God stirring up our spiritual fervor? Increasing our zeal, giving us the confidence that He is with us. We have no reason to be afraid. Giving us His food from heaven. This is my will. Go do it and go finish it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. and We'll pick up in verse 40. Oh, Pastor Wade was quoting from Romans 12. My ears perked up immediately. Couldn't help but notice that. What, what, what? That was, that was for you, my friend. <laughs> oh, that was a good bite of food. Isaiah 5, verse 40. We'll pick up with, They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Hmm. <laughs> Don't throw me in the briar patch, please. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing everybody say rejoicing rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that jesus is the christ the action field steps of obedience by the apostles brought them adversity what was their response to this adversity saints Rejoicing. Say rejoicing. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer adversity for the name that they were carrying on their shoulders. These were the very men who heard firsthand Jesus say, I am the bread of life. 
They saw who he was and they partook of it. They knew that partaking of Jesus as the bread of heaven included partaking of the adversity that Jesus did. That they could not walk around adversity in order to accomplish God's will in their lives. What is our typical response to adversity? Is it rejoicing? It should be. It's what we're aiming for. It's what God's word is stirring our zeal to accomplish. That when we are pressed, our heads lift up, our our mouths proclaim the name of Jesus, and we say, thank you, mighty God, for your strength that is filling me right now. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming what a high standard I want to live up to, that I will live up to, and that this church will live up to. They were able to do that because they were eating of the food of heaven, doing the Father's will, and keep pressing on until they finished every bit of it. Come on now, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we're talking about finishing God's will. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 is where we're going to start. See, this didn't just relate to the apostles. It says, in fact, everyone... Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. (laughs) Such a word of encouragement for you this morning. You will be if you're doing this right. If you're going after it. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, everyone is going to have to suffer the persecution because of the affliction, the, the adversity that is part of this pathway. You might look at these other people. Evildoers. Imposters. Lord, they don't have to worry about this. Yeah, but they're going from bad to worse. They're deceiving and being deceived. That's not the group that you want to be in, I promise. Look at the next verse. But as far as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. (laughs) Yeah. Because you know those from whom you learned it. The solution is, is to continue walking forward in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of. Continue moving. This reminds me of uh, of Deuteronomy 8 when we said, be careful to follow. Remember how he led you. These were the things that, that now the writer of Timothy is calling out. He's saying you have to become convinced of what you're doing and how do you become convinced? Because you exhaust yourself doing it. I keep coming back to that word. I keep coming back to that word today because I think it's so important for us. It is so important that we understand that we have to exhaust ourselves. Not just giving 20%. Not just giving 50%. Not giving 90%. But that you will continue in what you are learning here and have become convinced of. It's like what Peter says, that the word of God becomes more certain to you as you're walking in it. That you take this and you take hold of what you've been taught and you put it into practice. And it shows the convincing that is going on. The word that's been in you that's being made more certain. Because your food is to do God's will. And your joy is to do so while suffering affliction and persecution and adversity. See, we have to be like these men that we're seeing. We have to be like the men that Pastor read about. We have to be like Paul and Barnabas that understood and said that we must go through many hardships and difficulties to enter the kingdom. Church, you may understand that, but there's something that we have that's good news about this. This adversity should actually cause joy to come alive inside of you. Yes, Yes, Lord. I thought that I could do it on my own, but now, and now that I'm walking in obedience, now that I'm being fed with your will and doing your will until the end, Lord, I see how much I need you. And this adversity is causing a deep hunger in me. And what it does is this adversity is actually designed to be our advantage. Take a look at this slide. Action-filled steps of obedience will bring about adversity, which gives you the advantage. Somebody say advantage. Advantage. See, it's not just that you have to tolerate it. It's not just that you have to take it. What you get to be is you're advantaged by this adversity. You become something inside of you that works something out in you that you can't do on your own. You are at an advantage when you are walking through adversity because of your action-filled steps. Come on, church, say this with me. Say, I have the advantage. In the midst of adversity. adversity. 
Turn to Isaiah chapter 30 in verse 19. Say advantage whenever you get there. Advantage. There you go, girls. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. In this passage, this chapter, the Lord is speaking to his people, his treasured possession. He is directing them to dependency on him, repenting of idolatry and stubborn hard-heartedness. And he's promising them as soon as he hears their cry, he will answer that he is ready to respond. And he's just waiting for them. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to cry out for his help. To demonstrate that dependency in that cry. When we are repenting, having action-filled steps of obedience, and adversity arises, we are now at a point of being at an advantage. Only God can deliver me. Only the Lord can save and heal me. It's only by your strength, oh God, your power, that I can be rescued from the situation. No more of me is left. My self-sufficiency has been exhausted. It is gone. It is depleted. And that puts you at an advantage that we see in this passage. Then your teachers will be hidden no more. The bread of adversity and the water of affliction have now brought me to a place of dependency that allows revelation to be received. Amen. Come on now. When you're not living by bread, of, bread alone, you're not living by natural bread, you're not living even by the bread of adversity and affliction. You're living on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's an advantage. You get to hear from the heavens. You get to see Him work. He's giving you an advantage through these situations. Church, you are at an advantage. You have the advantage because God is with you. Oh, this is a a, a principle that we're to rejoice over. That in the midst of this adversity, God is giving us everything that we need. In this passage, it speaks of your eyes will see your teachers. They'll be hidden no more. Now I can begin to understand and be instructed with what God desires. My ears will hear a voice behind me saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Go in that direction. I found a gem in Rashi's commentary on Isaiah 30, 21, and I'll read it to you. He says, your ears shall be bent also behind you to hear from me. Perhaps a prophet will come and instruct you the way to go, whether right or left. See, the intent of this passage is that you are receiving direction, and that is your advantage. Your ears and your eyes are open to hear exactly what God is directing you to. It's not a matter of just choosing now any way you want to go, and God's going to bless it. It is being in a place of dependency, a place of advantage, where God is going to instruct you what needs to happen next. Is anybody else like me in the room? And as many times as you've heard this, you often focus on the left-right part of this? Yeah. Just personally, I focused on the left-right part. The whole focus is you hearing the words of the Lord speak to you. You know whether to turn to the left or the right. The point isn't you choosing your own option and someone's behind you speaking. The point is is that you can hear. The point of the verse before is that you can see. You can see because you've walked through the adversity correctly. This sounds just like John 5, 19 and verse 30. We don't have to turn there. It's just reminding me in this moment of it. Where Jesus doesn't do anything unless he hears or sees the Father. He's just replicating these and making sure that we're getting the point. The point is, is your advantage is that you can see, that you can hear, that you can be empowered by him to actually be able to accomplish God's will. The apostles experienced this. Jesus told them in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
in the midst of their adversity, what they were going to experience, it was going to work to their advantage because the Holy Ghost was going to be able to fill them with all the strength of heaven that they needed. He was going to empower them to do the will of the Father and finish the will of the Father. Amen. Let's turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We just have a few more passages of Scripture. But I want to really take time as you're turning to Acts 13. These are men that we're about to read about. Paul and Barnabas, who've been feasting on God's will. They've been feasting on God's Word and sharing it. They've been sharing with those who are desiring to be devoted in the kingdom. They're sharing from Israel's story all the way from the Exodus through the resurrection. These are men who are speaking and doing the will of the Father. They know that adversity is going to be brought their direction, but I can assure you they also know the advantage that is on their way. On verse 44, in verse 44 it says this, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. That's... (laughs) They've been there for a while. Listen, listen, almost the whole city gathered. Like instead of trying to count how many were there, just that's almost everybody is there. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against Paul, against what Paul was saying. <laughs> there it is. There's more external adversity, right? His action filled steps, Barnabas action filled steps of obedience met with adversity. Affliction, abuse. But look at verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. Yeah, they did. Come on now. How do you answer in the midst of adversity? Are you answering like people who are advantaged in every way? I know that you want to. That today is going to help you to be able to do that. Answer them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now catch this for a minute. Not only are Paul and Barnabas seeing God's power at work in the lives of almost the whole city where they are. Those with jealous hearts, grumbling tongues and lives that rejected the very will of God. They get addressed boldly. That's the easy part of this. But see, what you see in the advantage is, is that it's not only an advantage for Paul and Barnabas. There's an advantage for those of us in this room. The Gentiles there in that place as a whole are seeing the advantage of men who are feeding on the will of God. They're feasting on His Word above the bread of adversity. And the truth is, is we Gentiles in this room today have been advantaged because of these men's advantage. See, that's what advantage by the kingdom is supposed to do. It's not only for you. It may start with you, but it's designed that His will and His Word can continue to go and thrive in every place around you. That's an advantage. Somebody say advantage. Advantage. Church, your adversity is not only giving you the advantage, it's giving the generations advantage. Verse 48 continues, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. There was revival. That Paul and Barnabas ended up just shaking the dust of adversity off of their life and operating in a mode of rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. What kind of revival will be sparked in your life? What kind of feast can you expect to serve up as you sustain your life with action-filled steps of obedience? Expecting and overcoming adversity and feasting on the advantage that you have been given by the bread of heaven. The food, the work, and the completion of it. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 together. 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 10. Church, it's important for us today to get this concept. It's important for us not to get it in our, in our thoughts only, but to get it down in our spirit, to get it down in us. That place of sustenance, we need to be filled on the inside with the understanding here. And look what it says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Church, we're reminding you today that you've been called. You've been called to his eternal glory. He's spoken to you. He's drawn you. He's fed you. He's helped you. He's strengthened you. 
What that will produce in you is that suffering is always going to be there after you've suffered for a little while. There's always suffering for those who have a life that's trying to answer this call and exhaust themselves in the great things that God has. Those who are completing and doing God's will as the very food of their lives. He will then restore you. Amen. He will resurrect you. He will, as you are working and completing God's will in your life, as you're working wholeheartedly, working through the suffering, working through the adversity, then the advantage is a, is a resurrection power that's at work Amen. in you. Enough of His power to defeat the fears that you have inside. Amen. Enough of the power to defeat and overcome every adversity that's external. Enough for you to move beyond 20% or 50% and give you enough power to be able to go and complete what God's will for your life is. That is an advantage for you today, church. Are you walking in the advantage that He has? Are you taking full advantage? Are you walking fully in the advantage that He has for you? See, He's going to make you strong. He's going to make you firm and steadfast. He is going to create in you He's not just only promising. He is saying and He's showing that He will make you into these things. Amen. That should encourage your hope today. That should encourage your strength today. That should encourage your resolve today. He will make you what you're supposed to be. But this is the process by which He does it. Yeah. There's not another pathway for us. This is the pathway for Him to make you strong and firm and steadfast is by you having your food be all about the will of God and completing it in your life. This morning, God's directing our hearts to be encouraged, to be strengthened, receive exactly what we need from Him in order to reflect Him rightly and achieve the glory that He has for us. Let's begin to stand to our feet as we share our last scripture. Revelation 2 7 on the screen. Revelation 2 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's instruction of how to carry out action-filled steps of obedience. To the one who is victorious or overcomes adversity, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the advantage. So our, our question, in order to get to this point, walking confidently in the advantage, what is getting in the way? What fear is there that needs to die? What needs to be removed and repented of here at the altar so that you can rise and rejoice in the advantage that God is giving you? Is there grumbling? Is there discontentment? Is there a running away from adversity? Let it die here at the altar so that we can rise and rejoice in the resurrection power that is for our advantage now. Mighty God, we surrender our hearts our minds to you, our will. Well, that here this altar, our fears and insecurities would die. Our grumbling and complaining would die. So that we would rise in your resurrection power, be filled with your spirit, walk in the image that you made us. We thank you, Father, for your word and your spirit working on our hearts and helping us be strengthened to be just like you. In Jesus' name, amen.